electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber, who is back. We are set for some record highs at the open on the back of that strong jobs number from Friday, 916,000 broad-based gains. Couple that with a higher pace of vaccines, some more reopening news from movies to Vegas to restaurants. Our roadmap is going to begin with the economic boost to stocks. Futures are pointing to a sharply higher open following that jobs number. Plus, global minimum corporate tax rate. Treasury Secretary Yellen set to push the policy this morning in an effort to keep companies from relocating to other countries in search of perhaps lower rates. And shares of Tesla, they're jumping this morning, this ahead of the open, uh, after a first quarter sales surge. Carl. Guys, it is great to be back. Uh, the three of us, David, uh, you've been on spring break. I've been on spring break. Jim had a break a couple of weeks ago. And David, all of that's kind of being reflected in the numbers we're getting out of Vegas, out of air travel, out of open table restaurant seatings. I mean, the, the economic reopening appears to be very much on track. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, anecdotally, I think many of us can report the airlines were full uh, during travel, uh, barely a seat on uh, on the flights that I was uh, was on uh, available. We know the news from Delta this weekend in terms of not even having enough personnel to service what they needed to opening the uh, middle seat sooner than they'd anticipated in order to just deal with, Jim, how many people they had coming. And this morning in talking to a handful of uh, full of people I usually call. Travel does seem to be something a lot of them are thinking about when it comes to even uh, Trip and Carvana and what it's going to mean for Hertz as it emerges from bankruptcy. Sort of that whole travel play and reopening play. Look, it's the roaring 20s when it comes to that. And when you add in the jobs number on Friday, which was not an inflation number, by the way, you can see people are feeling bullish. And you get 100 million uh, vaccinations, at least part of it. You really start thinking, what am I doing? Why shouldn't my life change? Why shouldn't it revert to going somewhere? And, and Carl, I I find the money that has been added up uh, that is sitting on the balance sheet of of many Americans is ready to be spent. Obviously, there's still so many people who are unemployed. But, Carl, those who have money, they're traveling. And one of the reasons why I I think the airlines really must have doubted the vaccines, because they're all short staffed. They're short planes. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I look at Southwest. Why they have to buy all those planes? Well, because the, the, they really underestimated travel, Carl. They just didn't understand how much we want to go somewhere. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were clear that the range of um, potential outcomes this spring was pretty wide. But you're right. Delta had to cancel a number of flights over the weekend because of short on staff. Uh, we did hit four million vaccinations, David, in a single day over the weekend. Gottlieb thinks we're going to hit five million in a day sometime in the next couple of weeks. New York City goes to everyone over 16 years of age as of tomorrow. 
And then we got some upgrades this morning, David, uh, the likes of AMC, based on some of these box office numbers regarding Godzilla versus Kong, and uh, some upgrades of Vegas, too, where I, I hear anecdotally the line out the door, if you, went, if you were at Caesars over the weekend, was, was pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah, I guess Vegas is coming back, too. Not perhaps a surprise. Again, and you point out the pace of vaccinations. We're averaging, what, over three million, having done four. Gottlieb says we may even get to five. You do those kinds of numbers, Jim, and you quickly get to, uh, you know, more than 100 million people in a month. And conceivably, some level of, I don't know if we're, how close, but at least uh, herd immunity or, you know, whatever they're talking about in a number of months, perhaps even being sooner than we'd anticipated, understanding that some portion of the population is simply not going to get vaccinated and there are still going to be concerns about people under 16. But uh, and the concerns about the variants that are out there and what is still a stubbornly high a daily rate of infections. Nonetheless, Jim, it does appear that we are on that road that we've talked about so often uh, and, and perhaps further along it than some had anticipated. Look, I can't wait to speak to Frank Del Rio tonight. He's, he's the CEO of Norwegian Cruise, and he's put the gauntlet down the CDC. The CDC's, uh, Carl, I went through the CDC's rules uh, for first cruise ships. I have no idea what they really are, but I can tell you, Frank is saying everyone's going to be vaccinated. Crew and, and customers. And I don't know how the CDC says no to that. So the gauntlet is July 4th. Uh, Frank just says it's time. Uh, this is for uh, U.S. waters. And I've got to tell you, I, I know I would take a cruise if everybody was vaccinated. I mean, having watched that uh, Diamond Cruise uh, HBO, the Diamond Princess, uh, not that much of a uh, film that makes you want to cruise that much. But I do think that, that vaccinating <laughs> everyone... Whoa. Vaccinating everyone just takes something big away. And I think Frank's right. I mean, come on. If everyone is, is vaccinated, when this, isn't that what the point of vaccination is? Carl, if everybody is vaccinated, shouldn't we be wide open? Yep, that's a great point. It's a, it's a really interesting letter, actually, and I can't wait to hear uh, what Frank tells you tonight. But, yeah, they're talking about July 4th uh, at 60 percent capacity. I did notice this morning, guys, that uh, Fauci was talking uh, to Politico and said that by late fall, David, early winter, in Fauci's view, you could be talking about a situation in which you go to a crowded movie theater without a mask, which is sort of right. And that's sort of where we all wanted to end up. Right. Oh, man, I hope so. I mean, and, and, you know, somebody who I know you're an enthusiastic supporter of Broadway in New York City, which is such an important component of the overall economy there. Uh, you can't really open a lot of these theaters in that way at 30 percent or 40 percent. You need to get to a point where you can actually have everybody in a seat. So that is, would be very good news. Uh, and I could even imagine wanting to go to a movie under that circumstances, even if people are answering their phones during the movie, Jim, as they tend to want to do these days for some reason. Um, you know, I, listen, and school's fully reopening. Let, let's hope we get there. At this point, though, Jim, people still walk around the streets of New York outside with masks on. And if you don't have one on, they give you a dirty look. Sure. So, you know, coming from that to where you're going to be in a crowded movie theater without people wearing masks, I still find hard to imagine. Well, but I hope it comes soon. Remember the big analysts being Disney? They were talking about 2022 and everyone was really excited about 2022. No mask. I thought it was a little strange. Uh, I tried to get Dr. Fauci involved with a mass competition, a nonprofit mass competition that that Mark Benioff and I did for a million dollars. And uh, we picked some winners and it was terrific. I, I got behind it big. And uh, and then today, what, yesterday, the Biden announces a, a half a million dollar competition. 
Well, I mean, first of all, our competition was a lot bigger. But second, I mean, now, I mean, now, I think that, uh, but if you listen to the Diamond Princess, and I'm not going to play a Peter Navarro role here, Carl, but when you listen to that uh, HBO documentary, you do very specifically have Fauci say no mask. Not no mask, no mask. And I think that the confusing nature of, uh, because it was a novel illness, I don't blame anyone, Carl, it was a novel illness, didn't know what to do, but the idea that they're just now doing a mask competition for the White House to me is, uh, well, hello, I mean, we kind of did it and got someone. But you know what? I mean, anything, I guess, that, call, that gives awareness to mass, I guess, is okay. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, your, your point's well taken, Jim. And he'll, he'll, he's had a lot of trouble trying to live that down uh, in the fog of war that we were in. Uh, certainly not the only miscalculation that's been made regarding policy. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'd like to take that back. Jim, it does kind of lead us then, all this enthusiasm and the reopening, uh, to... More questions about how we're going to pay for all the stimulus that either we put in place or want to put in place still. And that brings us to Yellen, this first major address today in which she is expected, according to Axios and our own Steve Leisman, to call for a minimum corporate tax. How would that work and how would it be um, resistant to attempts to undercut it, uh, given countries who want to draw in business? Well, I know that uh, Wendell Wilkie did not win the presidential uh, did not win the White House, and he was in favor of one world a long time ago. Uh, I, I don't know how this is done. I, I do know that the Republicans, holy cow, are they against this thing? You know, David, they, all the Republicans that have been on TV this weekend always say the same thing. We're fine with bridges. We're fine with tunnels. We're not fine, really, with anything else. I mean, I don't know, David. I mean, that bill has a lot that is not bridges and tunnels. It's got a lot that's not bridges and tunnels. It's going to need more or less complete Democratic support. Uh, And there is some pushback from some Democrats in terms of when it comes to taxes, uh, not reinstating uh, the deduction for state and local income taxes above the $10,000 cap that currently exists. So it could be very tough, uh, a tough road, uh, even under reconciliation, Jim. Um, That said, you want to try and figure out a way to potentially pay for it. So it's not clear to me exactly what the alternative is. But, you know, we're back where we've always seemed to be these last, I don't even know how many years now, uh, where there is no true consensus amongst the two parties at all. And so one just simply says no. Um, I don't know. You know, Jim, I want to come back to the broader market here uh, since I haven't had a chance to talk to you. Is that tech unwind rotation kind of coming to an end, in your opinion? Well, uh, the, the again, last two days. You know, sort yeah. of trying to pick up the tone of the market this morning. That kind of came to the fore from a number of conversations. Well, I think we'll have to see. There was a terrific article in The Wall Street Journal about the individual investor uh, fleeing the market. And the numbers are so palpable that I don't know if the last two days can really change things. Uh, obviously, Tesla's got everyone going. Uh, the analysts are suddenly in favor of uh, you know, multiple price target increases. Uh, Wedbush goes hold to buy, and everyone's very excited that it looks like they're going to make the number, the deliveries in excess of, of 800,000. And that causes just a tremendous ripple effect. Um, Carl, there are so many EV stocks that have been crushed including the SPACs. So uh, you got the you got the charging stations doing well. You got companies that, that are involved with batteries uh, that are doing incredibly well just as early morning as QuantumScape. And I, I question, Carl, uh, the lasting power of this, because 
Every time that the individual investor comes back on Tesla and does other stocks that are derivatives, they tend to be disappointed because they want to buy Lucid, and, which I think is a good-looking car. Uh, they really feel that that's going to be the future. That's a Churchill 4. Um, but I think the problem is when you get behind these, like Fisker, you just tend to uh, wallow. I mean, Lordstown being up, there's not a lot of good news coming down from Lordstown. The Romeo Power uh, quarter, the pre-announcement, was as horrible as I've ever seen. So, you, you, you know, you can get excited about these, Carl, but I think in the end, you should be excited about some of the, uh, the yes, you should be excited about Boeing. You should be excited about Disney. I don't know whether this is the time to get right back into DocuSign and Zoom. As great as those company are, companies are, Carl, if more people come to work uh, at the central office, then that's why Cisco is going up because they're central office. So I, I am a, a believer in the semiconductor capital equipment, applied material as a meeting this week. I think the semis, because there's a shortage everywhere, that makes sense. That's the intersection of tech. But otherwise, Carl, I just hope that people don't lose more money. That's, that's an interesting uh, thought, Jim. And, David, it kind of reminds me, uh, CNBC had a pretty good look at a survey over the weekend of uh, 300 CEOs and HR executives. And the, the overwhelming view, 70 percent, say you're going to have reentry of the workforce around Labor Day. Now, the other 30 percent, who knows? But after we got blog posts like last week from the likes of Amazon and Google saying we're going to have an office-centric culture that has big implications for real estate on the commercial and the residential side. David Grease. We will take a break and be back in a minute. As we said, futures looking pretty good here. On the heels of the jobs numbers, still a lot to get to uh, in, regarding policy in the week ahead. Don't go anywhere. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Well, guys, we're about a week removed when I joined down the phone to talk about this incredible Archegos story. Uh, of course, the reason behind that 
amazing run-up. We talked about virtually every day and shares of the likes of Viacom and Discovery. There were other stocks as well, Chinese-related companies, Tencent Music, a couple of others that also he owned significantly. But the reverberations from the story is still ongoing. In particular, uh, the scrutiny it's going to put on the swap market or the total return swaps that are offered by uh, investment banks through their prime brokerage to family offices and hedge funds such as Arkegos. Um, and whether there's going to be a need for more transparency, it really is incredible to look at Viacom shares now up 19 percent for the year. Of course, they had been over 100 percent higher, more than that, even at their height of what 101, I think, was sort of the the, the high for the stock. They sold all that stock at 85, much of it common. Uh, and that was in part sort of the downfall there. Uh, having brought it down, again, we didn't understand Arkegos was such an enormous owner of this company stock. The New York Times reporting may have owned as much as $20 billion worth of stock, which even at its height would have represented close to 40% of the market cap. But this was unknown to those who were shorting the stock. It was unknown to those who were buying the stock. It was unknown to everybody, even to the prime brokers that had the swaps on with Arkegos because they didn't know how many other prime brokers around the, uh, the street were also had the same trade on, essentially allowing Mr. Wang to have uh, acts to have the economic uh, performance of Viacom stock. Why, Jim, anybody would want to own 30 or 40 percent of the market cap of this company from even from a risk management perspective is still a key question. We don't know the answer to it. Uh, what we do know is that Viacom has returned to levels that many would argue are more at least based on the underlying fundamentals of the company at this point, um, as has Discovery as well. I mean, he, Jim, I think was the, in the total return swap market, he was by far the largest single player without a doubt. Well, I, I think people have to know first that when you do those uh, kind of off-board transactions, the, the commissions are amazing. Uh, so in some ways, you do want to look the other way. J.P. Morgan was not willing to look the other way, didn't want to deal his, with his business. Uh, also found his character may be uh, called into question. Remember, he had been convicted of insider trading. David, what I found amazing is, is that he used multiple uh, prime brokers. So they really didn't know. Each, none of these actually had a read on the other ones, is what I can tell. Um, because these things were all off board. I also think owning that much stock, it reminded me, David, was he like trying to do a personal GameStop? I mean, did he see the shorts and wanted to break them? He's a personal GameStop. It's like a Ryan Cohen He was trying to corner the market in Viacom. You know, it was like Viacom. the Hunt Brothers with silver. It's like, I want every share. I'm well, going to own every share. Nobody's going to I mean, it, 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 I, yeah, Tony I, Romo? I, again, we continue to have questions here because it was so unusual. Uh, and if there was more transparency in this market where you actually knew who was behind these trades... Um, you would have known the risk. And many of those who were shorting the stock would have had a better understanding of why it kept going up. Uh, and right. so there is a certainly a large argument to be made here, Jim. And we may see it. And we know the SEC is taking a look at this, but we may see an outcome of this, that there is going to be uh, more transparency in this swap market, especially given the risk that was undertaken by the firms as well. Uh, we saw the Nomura loss of $2 billion. We don't know what the loss is going to be at Credit Suisse, but we, according to Bloomberg, they are now, uh, there are some questions about their chief risk officer and whether um, she is going to be able to continue with that firm. So we're still seeing the fallout from this. And, of course, we haven't heard anything from the man behind it all at Arkegos. No, he did say it was a challenging court, Dave. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to use that word. Yeah. I mean, because I think it really captures perfectly uh, how challenging it was. Hey, Carl, one thing that did happen, if you go back to the tape of our show, every day there was this moment where, where uh, David would say, by the way, Viacom's up again. And I would be like, it was almost like it was his personal GameStop, too. I mean, David, you're like um, Wall Street favor. And, and I just think it was just ba- that's an <laughs> illusion at best. It, there, it made no sense, Carl, because we, we just didn't. No none of the other guys were moving up that much. And as much as I love Bob Backish because I got this stock wrong, I do think that owning 40 percent of in swaps is the type of thing where the government has to say, look, you've got to make these swap deals much more public. And I have market access on tonight. They don't do. You know, they should be doing the swaps. Carl, there's a way to make this stuff very, very public. I remember doing some swaps when I was, you know, I very minor league in this market. But you got gaffed typically. You, you knew that you had to get a big. You knew that they had to give a big vig. Um, but uh, if you were to be public about these things and everything had to be in market access, then I think that what would happen is this would never have happened, Carl. And this is a bit of a travesty when I think the SEC ought to say, look, uh, swaps from now on, got to make them public. And I think, Carl, that would really change a lot because that's how you get away with this craziness. Uh, That was exactly uh, Senator Warren's point, Jim. Uh, Opaque derivatives, dark pools, unregulated hedge funds, a trader who wriggled out from uh, under the claw of the SEC. Uh, We're going to see what kind of implications it has for regulation uh, down the road uh, for sure. We'll take a break here, guys. Got the opening bell coming up in about uh, nine minutes. Don't go anywhere. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Take a look at futures. We are looking for S&P all-time high at the open, as well as a Dow all-time high. We've pointed out before, April has not had a losing April, not had a losing April since 2012. And uh, NASDAQ, three-week high as some mega-cap tech uh, took a stand last week. We're back in a minute. All right, time for a mad dash, and we'll take you right through to the opening bell, which is a little more than two minutes from now. Applied materials. Yes, you'll see that stock flying today. Why? One, because there's a huge chip shortage. But two, they have an analyst meeting uh, April 6th tomorrow. And I think that this one, it's very possible that they could uh, announce much higher earnings. I mean, David, one of the things that's happened is, is that you need applied materials, land research, and KLA 10 Corps more than any other companies right now. If we're going to alleviate uh, any sort of tightness, uh, you could say that uh, ASMLF, too, you could say that this meeting may be defining because we don't hear other than Taiwan semiconductor ordering $100 billion worth of equipment over the next three, three years. If we don't hear huge orders, then we're never going to get this thing, David, where we're going to make it so that we're uh, going to have enough uh, chips for cars, uh, have enough chips for uh, uh, I'm sure the next thing you're going to hear about is planes. I mean, there's just a huge number of chips going into everything, and there's just a shortage everywhere in the food chain. And it's really going to be made up yep. by these companies. And I don't know if it's going to be able to made up. Jim, you've been, fo- you know, you've been following this very closely. Uh, it's such an important 
uh, story. And by the way, when you talk about uh, the shortage, I mean, you, you, you reference it in a way. The advent of 5G, the Internet of Things that we've talked about so often, only going to require billions and billions more chips than already exist as, you know, they go into virtually everything because you're going to be able to have whatever they go into communicate with the edge of the network in a way there's no latency and it's going to allow for a lot more efficiency. But again, it goes to your point, uh, chip shortages perhaps for quite some time. Right. Now, people have to know that the Chinese order a lot of chips and uh, they were uh, uh, just in case we were just in time. They ordered a ton uh, from Taiwan. You have to. Uh, there's a major flashpoint going on, too. Don't forget, Taiwan's in the midst of a big geopolitical struggle. Uh, I had Secretary Mondo last week from a Commerce Department. They want to be able to build foundries here. Uh, foundries take two years to build from scratch. And there are back orders for all the equipment. Land research is probably doing more than almost anyone. And they, you can't get a land research machine to be able to make semis. The back orders are ridiculous. So, yeah, David, this is a. A very key moment for the semiconductor industry and also for American industry. Uh, and it's not just cars. That's the point. I had Micron wrong this week. Uh, DRAM has now uh, it's been tight. But now Flash is getting tight. So uh, look out. This is some big squeeze that's going to last for time. Long time. Hmm. Yeah, I guess the, the debate will be how long, Jim. There's the opening bell. And the S&P 500 at the bottom of your screen, 40 47, I think, will be uh, an all-time high to get out the gate, as we expected. Same story for the Dow. Uh, Jim, you know, in terms of prices, you've been talking about chips we all have for a while. I know last week, uh, Kimberly Clark, big price hike in North America. Evercore says CAT is ready to raise prices for the first time in five years. And some of the ISM respondents last week talked about either having to pay more to draw talent or pay more to retain talent. Um, and I wonder if you think that has big inflationary tells for us. Well, the one thing that I think that J-PAL has in terms of keeping rates down was that the uh, actual uh, pay last week in that number was not as as robust as I thought. But I don't know. I mean, look, I, I had Nucor on last week. I mean, every grade of steel is going higher. Uh, obviously, lumber, there's still no decline in the price of lumber after that doubling. Uh, you know, David, it's very hard to uh, realize how much of the plastics industry uh, was really taken down by Superstorm Uri. And that's not back on. Uh, and all the prices are going through. Uh, pulp, obviously, with Kimberly Clark, prices going through. So uh, we're just seeing what I think is a level of inflation of commodities we haven't seen in a long time, but not of labor. And so maybe uh, it's maybe the Amazon potential uh, unionizing move. I don't know, David. I just feel like that what's happened is we have we have short term inflation spike. That's what J-PAL predicted. But no inflation yet uh, in talent uh, across the board. In other words, we're still working on minimum wages. I don't know. David, it's yeah. not that it's not yeah. bad. Listen, when it comes we, to- we- no, we're still working through, right, this is the first trading day, obviously, we've had since we got what were good employment numbers uh, on Friday, um, Jim. You know, I want to come back on the economic front as well. That is something we've talked about off- oftentimes, and it was referenced in that journal story that, uh, that we talked about a bit earlier. Not clear that those checks are being spent in the way that we thought at least portions of uh, in the stock market. Again, this new cohort... You know, it's funny sitting here where I was a year ago uh, when the pandemic was just in its early stages and we all were in disparate places uh, reminds me of that of that moment when we started to learn of potentially a new cohort existing, Jim, but we're uh, of investors right. who soon were going to be uh, getting some checks 
who then decided to, in part at least, use some of that to bet on stocks. Um, doesn't seem to be happening as much as we thought with the latest $1,400 checks, does it? No, and I think you hit on the key word, David. Uh, bet on stocks. You didn't say invest in stocks. You said bet on. And I what did you're here. And, yep. and, and I did it specifically true. for that reason. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, what yep. happened is that there was a, that article this morning was so seminal, actually, because it was uh, the numbers are staggering. The decline in Robinhood, which is coming public, the decline of traffic, the, uh, traffic, the decline of people looking at it. Uh, it's almost as if, yes, it finally happened again, like in 20, you know, you're going back to 2001. They just put their statements in the drawer and said, don't worry, the companies are going to come back. Uh, Carl, the companies don't come back for the, the vast majority that we learned. They don't come back. And that's why if you're diversified, you're going to survive this period. I mean, remember, the S&P was up 7 percent in the first quarter. And yet there are people putting their statements in their drawer, not wanting to look at it. What did they own? And the answer is, I think they owned a lot of stuff that they bought very high. And yes, it is true. Snowflake is a great company and Arc Innovation is a great fund. And we see some terrific uh, uh, SPACs. But that doesn't mean that their stock prices uh, where they were bought are anywhere near here. And I think a lot of people are foolish if they think that stocks just come back. You have to work at it. I mean, you have to be. I wish we hadn't called them value stocks, but it was too boring to buy Caterpillar and buy Nucor. Carl, they wanted Flash. They wanted Fisker. They wanted uh, Nikola. They wanted a lot of things that are um, charging stations. And, Carl, they, 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 they may not come back as fast as people think, if at all. Uh, it, it definitely takes a, um, a, re, a rethink by a lot of large institutions to, to pile into those names, given how many rewards uh, right. uh, growth has given you over the past decade, Jim. To that, to that extent, though, we did get those upgrades out of Morgan Stanley of some of the Vegas names, uh, obviously right at the heart of the, of the reopening. Caesar and MGM, they go to overweight. Uh, 113 and 43, respectively. I did see, Jim, regarding your Robinhood comment, Goldman does add Schwab to the conviction list today, talking about strong balance sheet and, in their view, continued momentum. Well, look, I, I think it's anything's possible, but uh, the journal piece talked about last week of March. There was a day that was uh, the volume was equivalent to what happened the day after Thanksgiving and the day before Christmas. I mean, those are just complete non-volume days. Uh, I will say, uh, David, I, I, I think you can make a case that there are some people obviously not going to leave. Uh, and Schwab actually has good detail of who would. But some of these stocks, David, I mean, they all have that same chart. And maybe things have been really great. Uh, maybe things will stay great. But isn't somebody other than EV not doing that well? I mean, Look at this. You see Caterpillar? Yeah, they, they do have similar charts. We've talked about, I mean, it's a few couple of weeks ago that we talked about the SPAC out, Jim, uh, which continues. Um, you know, so many of those names that had captured the imagination of the same uh, investor base don't quite seem to be there anymore. We're also starting to see companies that went public through SPACs that have that have de-SPAC, so to speak, report numbers that perhaps are not being as met as well as they might want otherwise to be. You mentioned Romeo Power, for example. So we take a look at the bottom there, trading at 830. Remember where they, they do the deals at 10. So well, that Churchill, gives you David, Churchill 4, and, right? Churchill 4, CCIV, On the beaches love it. Yes, and the same, Yeah, I mean, it went up there <laughs> 50s. People bought that and yeah. that, that didn't. Although be. it's still trading, you know, again, I always say if, if, you, if you just, if it, if it was a $10 stock moving to wherever in the 24, you'd be like very happy with it. It still performed very well. It's just that it happened to hit almost 60 on the way 
to 24. Well, um, look, a quantum scape, Jim, down 40 percent. But it does get me, though. Does, it, yeah, it is. Um, and it's still a large company from a market cap perspective with a lot to come. We hear from him all the time in terms of the um, the the advances that need to be made that they are making at QuantumScape in terms of that solid state battery and, and where that's going to end up. You know, let's not forget, so many of these things give us the projections on 25 or 26 earnings and or revenues, which is a conversation we've had and will continue to when it comes to SPACs. But I did want to get to GameStop. It's down about 12.5%. Jim, they finally took your advice. They're doing it as an at-the-market. They didn't do it as a fully underwritten deal, a la Viacom. Um, stock's down about 13%, but it is still up 5,878% over the last 12 months. Well, look, I, I think this is, I applaud this. And I know there are people uh, who are mad at uh, Adam Aaron for offering something that was in the proxy, uh, th- th- about 500 million shares. But look, these, these companies are using the capital markets the way they're supposed to, not the way that it's about short busting. But about making it so that they can reinvent themselves. Carl, who knows? But the people that, that, that Ryan Cohen is assembling from Amazon and from Google, they may be able to reinvent this company. They're taking advantage of, of what I think they obviously must think is a high price. They're dribbling it out. I mean, I think that people who are selling it here must recognize, Carl, their goal was not to bust the stock themselves, just like Adam Aaron was talking about how the, his board mm. was saying, look, this could be a very successful offering. We want to stay in business. They could be the last man standing. So I see GameStop as, uh, look, I'm not calling it an opportunity, it's, but it is only an $11 billion company. Uh, and who knows what these people could come up with? Maybe it is going to be the ultimate crypto play where you do e-gaming <laughs> and you're awarded yep. in <laughs> Ethereum. David, are you chuckling? Uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, a little bit. We don't know, Jim. Bit. On AMC, I, I did want to ask you, because B. Riley does upgrade AMC today. Basically, their view is you had Godzilla versus Kong, which Adam uh, mentioned to us last week. They opened with $48 million in North America. Uh, they say given that the American theater base is only 60% open at the moment, and given that the prior film of, of the Godzilla franchise opened to $47 million, I don't know whether we start comparing which was the better movie and which had the better marketing, but their, their point is you're, you're getting similar box office results with half of the seats available. Yeah. Uh, and that's their view that AMC is pointing to people who want to get out of the house. I think it's huge. And if you go and look at the corporate debt, which is something that a lot of the newer investors don't really bother with. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, they go and they look at AMC and look at Adam Aaron's think it's good. But there's corporate debt. David, there's corporate debt that was trading in the 30s. That's out out three years. Well, Adam Aaron openly said, listen, we sell common stock. We can buy back that debt and it will be anti-dilutive. But, David, when people talk about that, some of these newer, younger investors aren't looking at the balance sheet side and realizing how good this is. It's really good. How good it is. But is it? I mean, I still wonder about the overall future of the company, don't you? No. Uh, You know, people are going back to the movie theaters, thankfully, uh, and and will do so, we hope, in even more numbers. But it wasn't as though this was uh, uh, lighting, you know, lighting the world on fire before the pandemic. I mean, this is AMC. Yeah, but David, they I know they have a lot of debt, but I do think that if you're the only movie theater that gets through. I mean, you look at Darton, okay? Is Darton the only large Italian food restaurant that got through because a lot of the Italian mom and pops uh, went under? Well, I I could argue that they have scale. I don't... What? You don't know? 
You don't, you uh, no, I mean, aren't they losing money still by being wide open, you know, until people really come back? Isn't it sort of a money losing well, uh, yeah, proposition? Yeah, but what happens when you're the the world last... stayed closed? I mean, Carmike's finally opening. Say again? Well, no, I mean, look, Adam Aaron's goal is to, he's not a monopolist. But it's to be able to stay alive through this period. He came on and he said that there's been five bankruptcy scares. Five. I mean, right. that's incredible. When you go read the Darden conference call, they're talking about how much money they can spend versus everybody else. I mean, one of the things that's happened here is, is that the big got bigger. I don't know, Carl. It's, yeah. I think that no, this it's is true. It's true. But, you know, Darwinian. Jim, when I think about final thought on final thought quickly on, on AMC, when I think about the big winner here, Carl, it's Silver Lake. I mean, they thought right. they had a basically a zero on their hands, and they they sold out at twelve. Right. Uh, so about right now, that's the that's the only. And Wanda's the loser. Yeah, yeah Wanda's biggest the loser. owner tried to get out before this all hit. They're nope. a loser. So we'll see. Yep, they're a loser. Yeah, they're, fast, they're not what they fascinating guys. <laughs> what a, what a, what a tale, um, guys. Every sector is green except for oil. And we got the VIX once again below 18. I think we're going to head to uh, Bob Pisani. Morning, Bob. Morning, guys. Uh, And, uh, yeah, not a lot going on overseas. Europe, Hong Kong, Australia, China are essentially closed. But we have got a very powerful rally that's been going on really for the last five or six days. Growth has reasserted itself. We've got a new high in the S&P, new high in the transports, new high in the industrials, and many sectors of the S&P also at new highs. Just take a look at some of the ones that are moving. But REITs, new highs, communication services, industrials at a new high, materials at a new high, uh, even financials. Bank stocks, not quite a new high, but financials as a sector have popped to a new high as well. We've also got an interesting mix of new highs in the S&P 500. There's a very small group of tech stocks uh, like Alphabet and uh, some of the chip names like Lamb Research at new highs. Home Depot curiously continues to hit new highs. A lot of people uh, talking about that over the weekend. But what is really noticeable is the old school industrials, uh, your Textron, your Norfolk Southerns, uh, Eaton, uh, these are big global industrial names that are continuing to hit new highs every day. And, of course, that's important. There's the great reflation trade that we've been talking about so much. Uh, as for uh, growth, ARC Holdings back again. We know about how difficult it was the last week and a half or so. But since then, most of, Kat, most of Kathy Wood's big names have been back up there. Tesla's having a good day, of course, on new orders. But Zoom, Zillow. Uh, Spotify, Shopify, all have had a much better situation than they were two weeks ago. Some of these names were 20, 30, 40 percent off their old highs, but they've reasserted themselves, not in any dramatic way, but certainly uh, well above where they were the last week and a half. In terms of the tailwinds, a lot of them that are out there right now, I think important just to know where we are in terms of the overall markets right now. U.S. is the vaccine leader, and that's just the most important thing in the world right now. We've got that great jobs report. And remember, the consumer confidence number off the charts good last week as well. Rates are higher, but they're still contained. And I think that's the key to why so much of the market, we're getting so much of the uh, growth being able to tolerate the higher rates. 2021 earnings, I keep saying the numbers still keep going up week after week, very quietly, maybe not dramatically, but on just look at the first quarter for January 1st, we were expecting it to be up 16% for the first quarter. Now it's up in the mid-20s. Uh, for estimates for the first quarter growth. Put up the next full screen. You'll see uh, that's what really moves the markets here. And for 
the second quarter, the numbers also keep going up. We were expected to be up 45% for the second quarter on January 1st. Now we're up almost 54%. Those are huge moves up, and that's what's powering the market. You want to keep an eye on the second half of the year, of course, to see if that trend continues. The other thing that's amazing, the collapse of the VIX. Did you see this on Thursday? We dropped two points going into the close. We were at 19. Now we're at 17. This is back to February 2020 levels. Really rather remarkable. And I think it indicates not only just uh, less concern or, or overall panic, but perhaps even a little less trading volumes. I think David touched on this earlier. Uh, we had some numbers out over the weekend for March trading volumes. Very interesting. Remember, the crescendo was in January when we saw 15 billion shares a day trade in the equity markets. That's remarkable. We had 10 billion uh, on average in 2019. Those numbers for February were a little lower uh, than January. And now we have the March numbers, cash equity volumes, 13% below the February numbers and equity contracts for uh, options, which indicates, of course, a lot of interest in retail, also 13% below what the numbers were in February. So this makes a little bit of sense, Carl. We had a crescendo in January of trading activity around retail traders. And as people go back to work, the volume levels are coming down a little bit. I don't think that's surprising at all. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Thanks, uh, Bob Pisani. Got some final PMIs rolling in. Let's get to Rick. Yes, Carl, these are the final March reads. And of course, at the top of the hour, we'll have what many consider the definitive ISM services coming out. Uh, but 60.4 replaces 60.0 on M-A-R-K-I-T, Market Services, PMI. This is a new high watermark post-COVID for this series of data points, and it equals uh, or higher the 60 in the rearview mirror. Now, here's something interesting. As we go to the composite PMI, it moved from 59.1 mid-month to 59.7. That's important because 59.5 last month's final read was the high watermark. So once again, both of these are now post-COVID highs, and we're expecting a number right around 60 for ISM national number coming out soon. Let's look at the chart, shall we? If you look at an intra of 10s that started oh, right around 7 o'clock Eastern, I picked that because right at 8.20 Eastern, the future's open, you can clearly see that we saw some buying coming in once we moved into our time zone with regard to treasuries. A one-week chart will reveal that on the 30th. Last week, we had our high close. You see it on the left there. That was Tuesday at 177. The next day, Wednesday, the 31st, we had our uh, high close, which was 174. So I'm sorry, 177 intraday, high close, 174. Why? Because Bob Pisani brought it up, and he's exactly right. Look at a five-week chart of treasuries, 10-year. And you'll see, yesterday, Friday, the close at 174 was the 7th close of 70 basis points are higher, which means we really have covered this and we are sort of gun top because we haven't retraced. We haven't seen a lot lower yields, but we're not really going through that one and three quarters mark. And that's psychologically important. Very quickly, euro versus dollar. Well, if you look at it since October 1st, we are turning off of five-month lows in favor of the dollar. And finally, the dollar versus the yuan, the yuan, the Chinese currency. You could clearly see we're improving, but at a slow pace. Carl, back to you. All right, uh, Rick, thank you. Uh, Rick Santelli, a lot to get to, and the week's only going to get busier. S&P 40.58, all-time high. A Dow 33.440, all-time high. And you got the NASDAQ, highest since March 1. We're back after a break. 
Take a look at some of the S&P gainers. Everything's doing well today. Fang's doing well. Facebook all-time high, but it's really the reopening stocks that are the tip of the spear. Norwegian, Carnival, Tesla in there with some Q1 deliveries, and then Vegas, of course, upgraded over at Morgan Stanley. More Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Get to gym and stop trading. Carl, one of my absolute favorite oil companies, actually the only recommending two, Chevron and Pioneer. Pioneer's offering 27 million shares and issuing a, well, going to spend a billion dollars. Wow, it's a lot. To buy this double point, uh, which is private equity and also assuming the debt. And that pressure is really hurting the stock. If you believe in oil, you want to be on that 27 million because Scott Sheffield is a, is fantastic. And this is really high, uh, high class property. So if you like oil, you're going to get your chance. So take it. Don't run from it. Interesting, Jim. Uh, yeah, the oil debate is sort of co- there's a collision here between the reopening play and gas demand and mobility. And then what OPEC plus says right. they're going to do over the next couple of months. Yeah. And California drilling and there's just going to be less drilling all over the country because of President uh, Biden. And I really do want to emphasize, Carl, that one of the reasons why oil's up is a belief uh, it, among investors that there really is going to be a major impact uh, by President Biden in terms of uh, the switch to wind, the switch to uh, solar, the switch to anything renewable and what that will mean. Of course, this is gasoline we're talking about. We're not an oil-based system. But I do believe that the zeitgeist is maybe got to sell these stocks because of President Biden. Uh, and I think that there are certain ones that are doing incredibly well. Pioneers doing the best. You'll want to buy that offering. And then tonight, Jim, you mentioned Norwegian. You mentioned market access. Yeah, market access. We are going to talk about the swap market. We've got to shed a light on it. That no one, this, It's actually crazy. We had this in 2008. It's happening again. And Frank Del Rio is coming out swinging. I mean, he is not, he's not taking it. He's saying, come on, it's time. We're going to vaccinate everybody. Give us a break. And I have to tell you, I mean, if you do vaccinate everybody, then how does someone give it to someone else? I mean, to me, that's the secret of how you can change the world. But uh, so far, the CDC has a lot of crazy rules. Remember last year when people thought it was all surface and not aer- aerosol? Well, anyway, I think that Frank's got to do a breakthrough here. Let's see if he can prevail. Yep. Leading the S&P at the moment, Jim, up 8%. We'll see you at 6. Very good. Mad Money with Jim Cramer, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 